Welcome into the Woj Pod Trade Deadline Reaction Show. Um, I'm Cassidy Hubbard, alongside the man, Adrian Wojanowski. Also have Tim Legler and Bobby Marks is joining us as well. Um, for the next 45 minutes, we're just we're going to react to what a crazy week, really. Um, Woj, let's start obviously with the with the biggest trade. How many times first? Let me ask you this question. How many times today have you been have you been asked how many hours have you slept? Like every single segment? Yeah, usually so, every halfway down <laughs> the <laughs> corridor. Yeah, all, halfway down the corridor. I'm fresh as a yeah. daisy. All, all, the rest of you guys, you um, we, we <laughs> had the, the the night last night was most similar to in my time at ESPN, and Bobby Marks was with me. It was the night Why? in free agency of Paul George, the Paul George trade mm. from Oklahoma City. Bang, bang with Kawhi. Because once they had the Paul George trade, essentially it was once they knew they had Kawhi Leonard ready to commit, the trade then was going to be executed. So it was bang, bang. And I remember thinking we were going to be there until we knew the George was coming. I thought we thought we'd be here till 5.30, 6, 6.30 in the morning. And it was, what, 2.20 a.m. Eastern, right? 2.20 in the morning, and we turned around. I hadn't pulled an all-nighter since college. That was the, <laughs> that was the first time since college. Yep. And uh, the, good, the, the, only, the good thing with the trade deadline is there's a deadline. Yeah. Right? right? It right. ends. With free agency, you can keep on. Yeah. You know, Nobody's well, forced to make a decision in free agency. No. It can go on and on. You do have to make decisions in, at the trade deadline. But, yeah, that was it last night, One whatever it was, one fifteen, and we were tracking that it may be headed that way. But then it – you know, what it does, though, of course, there's the moment where the story breaks and then there's a lot in the aftermath that you're that, of course, we're doing reporting. But it was great. That's why you do this is for nights like that, stories like that. It was it was a fun night. I'm not going to ask you to go like deep into your sleep schedule. But look, I mean, it's the trade deadline. Like and you're LeBron James, Kevin Durant on this day. Like you're the star player. So I, I do. I, I am genuinely interested in like. What do you do next? Are you sleeping until noon? Like, what? what is what? When do you do, like, when you're done, when you walk out of this building here in Bristol? Yeah. When I, you I, go to bed? Yeah, I, it'll, I think it'll be a normal night's sleep. Last <laughs> night was like 48 minutes, I think, from start to finish. It's fine. The hard part starts for me now because yeah. I got to watch all these games and figure out how these pieces work. Who plays for do – you, do you know who everyone plays for? Uh, not who quite. Play for? Not, actually, I did a radio interview this afternoon, and I was just making that transition from the campus to the hotel. Five-minute ride down the road. And when I got there, I did a radio interview, and they informed me of a trade, the host. I was like, well, you're going to have to tell me who they got back because it must have happened when I was driving over here. I haven't seen that one yet. It was, it was actually the Thibel trade. I didn't know, I didn't know yeah. Matisse Thibel had been moved. Yeah. So then they had to fill me in. It was a Philadelphia radio show. And then I was like, okay, oh, those pieces are okay. Now I can talk about it. But that's, that's how fast this stuff was going. And, yeah. In terms of, like, what this trade deadline has been like, is this uh, – I'm not going to ask you to rank it, but, like, thinking back in your, your memory of past trade deadlines, like, how crazy – was the last few days uh, compared to the last few years? Well, I think there's, there's only so many hours in a day. There's going to be so many deals. The number typically adds out to about the same number of trades every year, give or, few, give, give or take a few. But it's the impact of the trades. And certainly Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, the impact of those two being traded at the deadline is – uh, you know, we had James Harden last year, certainly significant. Seems to be a pattern developing here around <laughs> around the Nets. But, listen, I think the trade deadline has been diluted a little bit by the play-in tournament. Or, the, the yeah, the play-in tournament. Uh, it's 
It's cut down on the number of sellers there are at the trade deadline. So asking prices are higher and teams are less apt, um, you know, to give up picks and young players for rentals and win now guys. Um, and so while there's a lot, a lot of the deals moving around are there, it's, it's bookkeeping, it's luxury tax savings. It's you have some cap space. We're going to send a couple of contracts to you with a second round pick or with cash so we can save on luxury tax. And so I think when some of these deals are going down, if it's, you know, Frank Kaminsky and Justin Holiday, Justin Holiday going to uh, uh, Atlanta, Houston, uh, Houston, Houston for, from Atlanta, right? Yep. Garrison Matthews. It's it's you know, it's money. It's money moving around. And that's, you know. It's just part of the business. And uh, you get a second round yeah. pick, and you get a second round pick, and you get a second round <laughs> yeah, pick, which, yeah. was, which was big. Yeah, and, and a lot of these deals are tied into you get word of a trade, and then it's, okay, this is part of something bigger, and you're in real time trying to piece together. But, you know, what's interesting is there might be a four-team trade, and the other two of the teams don't know where the guys are going. They're, it's not shared with them. They just know they're part of the trade. And so you're, you're trying to cobble together who's going where, and who knows who's going where? And it's typically just, um, but it's not all four teams. Typically, at a four-team trade, know, uh, you know where everybody's ending up. I remember there, today there were trades with uh, Detroit. I think you know Golden State sending Sadiq Bay off to Detroit initially, and on his way to Atlanta. As I recall, the Golden State guys didn't know Sadiq Bay was ending up in Atlanta. They just knew they were sending him to Detroit for James Weissman, and then Detroit had its own deal, right, Bobby? Yeah, I mean, and I always say that people always in, in middle of January say, when are we going to see some trades? And, I mean, you look at it, I think 85% of the trades, regular season trades have happened the last uh, during the trade deadline week because everybody's waiting for that right offer. You know, Jay Crowder, for example, here, you know, he's been on the market for three or four months, and he was finally traded um, part of the Durant, tr- uh, uh, Kevin Durant trade, and uh, Brooklyn gets back a bunch of second-round picks here. But that's what teams are operating on. You know, now, as I said, you put a deadline in place, it forces everybody's hand. All right, well, let's get into some of the how, how these trades went down. And let's start with, obviously, the, the biggest blockbuster. Why did the KD trade happen in the middle of the night? Through that evening, uh, Matt Ishbia, the new owner in Phoenix, I think they had started a three-way conversation with Detroit, Atlanta, uh, on a way for them to potentially get John Collins, who has been in Atlanta. I think you know he's wanted to see if they can get a trade. The team has tried, and they looked like they were, Phoenix was going to be the team that would be able to land him. Um, as they started to have maybe a little less confidence that they were going to bridge the gap that remained with Brooklyn. And I thought as of 7, 8, 9 o'clock last night that that might be where this was trending. And then the Suns and Ishbia re-engaged with the Nets later in the evening, sometime after 11 p.m. And all of a sudden, the gap that was there started to close, and we started to get a sense that there could be a deal. And you know, that's what happens in these instances where in real time you're deciding, you know, how steep the price is, how impactful the player is in Kevin Durant. And I think Ishbia and the Suns just said, listen, we you do not get opportunities to trade for players like Kevin Durant in the middle of a season at the apex, relative apex of his talent. 
and they went the rest of the way. And I think the sense in Brooklyn was that they had tried to make their case to him throughout the week. Let's see what else we can get out there after the Kyrie Irving trade. Let's see what we can get in trades. Um, he knew what the roster was. He knew what the roster, Durant knew what the roster was going to look like in Phoenix with this trade, what would be left there, who he'd be playing with. And Kevin Durant's view, I'm told, was I still want that trade to Phoenix. I, I'm ready for this to be over. And I think Joe Sy and Sean Marks, as badly as they wanted to keep Kevin Durant, as badly as they never wanted this day to come, I think there was just an inevitability about Durant moving on after Harden left, after Kyrie Irving left, and um, whether it was now or in this offseason. And, and look, it, it sounds like he was fully involved in the whole process uh, with, with the Nets front office. I mean, I know you've answered this question a lot today, but what do you make of the fit of Kevin Durant and the Suns? Well, you know, I'm thinking about it. Unless I'm mistaken, and historically I'm forgetting somebody, you guys could probably help me with this because you do so many deadlines, right? Just such a big day. Is this the highest-ranking player historically that's ever been traded at the deadline? Yeah, it has to be. Like in season, right? You're talking I mean, about a guy that – I mean, we traded Jason Kidd in 2008, but Jason was kind of on the tail right. end, right? I mean, this is still, Dallas, This is yeah, a guy yeah. that people say is, you know, he's definitely in that conversation for top ten ever, and he's still averaging 30 points a game. Like, it's not like he's at the very end. His role's not changed. He still is the guy, the go-to guy. So here's the bottom line. He immediately thrusts them to a team that I project by the time we get to the playoffs will be the prohibitive favorite to win the Western Conference. If the playoffs started tonight, I'd probably take Denver to beat them because mm. this has to fit, mm. and that's going to take time. But the playoffs don't start tonight. The playoffs start in a couple of months. And by that time, when you look at Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker, you're talking, to, you're talking about three of the best mid-range players offensively this league has seen all operate at the same time. And the reason I say that's so important, that is critical in the postseason. To even have one of those guys is important. When you have three that can get to their spot anytime they want with a live handle and all three can stretch it out to the three-point line, I just don't know how any team has enough defensive personnel or game plan to deal with that. You know, it's interesting, Tim. I had a Western Conference coach maybe about a month, month and a half ago, and we were talking about the West, and uh, Phoenix was struggling, and Chris Paul was looking perhaps, you know, all of 38. And we were just talking about some different teams, and he said, the one thing that I don't count Phoenix out with is nobody executes better in the late game. And that's, you know, certainly Monty Williams is their coach, and all the guile and, and, and IQ of... Chris Paul and, and certainly his ability to make big shots, but but Devin Booker and Mikkel Bridges with that group. And so, you know, that was an interesting perspective from a coach in the West. And now with, you know, the there's no shot maker like Kevin Durant in basketball. So it'll be, um, listen, I think the, the arms race in the West, it was mm. funny how much we talked about this league starting sh to sh shift back. Right. Yeah. And now here go two, two of the best um, – Ten talents in the league anyway, and Irving and Durant now back out west. This may be low-hanging fruit, but you now feel like the west is stronger than the east? Oh, it's not even close. I started writing. I was just went down the standings yesterday, and I just started writing names down at the top guys in this conference. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I don't know there's ever been a time either of the two conferences, east or west, at any time historically, has had more top-tier, top-shelf talent congregated in one conference than there is right now. I mean, just go down the list. You're talking about guys that are 
historically potentially top 10 players yeah. in their prime still doing their thing congregating out there and then other guys you know with with unlimited potential because they're so young that could end up on those lists guys like Luke and Zion who knows what he becomes he's out there too so I've just never seen this level of talent and what's so interesting to me is now the top seeds could find themselves in situations in the first round playing teams like the Clippers the Mavericks, the Phoenix Suns, the Warriors, mm -hmm. and potentially be an underdog in those series despite yeah. the fact that you've got home court advantage. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How much were the Nuggets and, and Grizzlies involved in talks, and why didn't anything really come to fruition for them? I, I do not believe the Nuggets were out big game hunting in this trade deadline. Grizzlies were. The Grizzlies were, and I think they've got, they have done such a good job in Memphis. Zach Kleiman, their GM, he was executive of the year in the league last year, and uh, they've done such a good job of uh, drafting well, developing their young players and and you know building up trade assets they use their salary cap space to get bring in players and now if there's a big player out there that you know I think they feel like we're ready to make that jump and there's that impact wing out there you know Mikel Bridges and I think when he was in Phoenix before the trade and then into Brooklyn today there were a lot of yep. teams banging on the door in Brooklyn we talked a lot about OG Ananobi and I think there were several offers of three first-round picks and, and some, some good players with that. But Mikael Bridges, I'm told, was there were offers of four first-round picks for him hmm. um, out there in these last, hmm. last 24 hours. And Brooklyn's not, they, they're not moving off of him. But I thought Memphis was pretty aggressive. And they picked up, they picked up Luke Kennard at the deadline, who I think is certainly going to help them. Well, the interesting thing for me with Memphis is that certainly big game hunting. But when you look at it, and we're going to use my – man, I need one of these at home. One yeah. of these, these touch screens here. Yeah. Here's the magic number. 11. 11 out of the 15 players on this roster have been drafted. Right? They are not known to kind of go out of their, outside of their own to make big trades. Zero. The number of draft picks Zach Kleiman, their, their GM, has traded since he's been there. And they had – all their picks, all four, they had a Golden State first to use in a trade, and 
I think they sense, certainly when, when Phoenix made the Durant trade, like what we have right now is good, but we might need something else out there. And, and unfortunately for this market, there's just, there just wasn't anything else out there. I'm not trying to bring you back to your days as a, a Nets GM, but I do like want to get your insight on like, the decision making of the Brooklyn Nets front office. And you know, as Woj said, they didn't want the day to come where they had to let go of Kevin Durant. But how, how do you see what their choices were and how where they ultimately ended up? Yeah, this where they. At- Ultimately ended up, it reminds me a lot of the 2018-19 team that lost to Philadelphia in the first round, took that game down in Philly. I think they won 43 games that year, that young, fun, energetic team. And I think when you look at the roster now, a lot of interchangeable parts, Dorian Finney-Smith, Mikhail, uh, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson. However, as we were talking about Phoenix, t- playing hard, players like that, interchangeable, gets you to a point. When he gets to two minutes in a game, do you have a guy that can close a game? And I think that's kind of where Brooklyn's going to run into a little bit of a problem. But what they were able to do is they pivoted, right? They saved $100 million in a week. And now they have seven draft picks they can go out and trade. And they've got all these young players on controllable contracts. They're not top-heavy. Of course, you're going to have to figure out the Ben Simmons situation. I think that's a question for the offseason here. But considering, hey, you had Harden, Irving, Durant, at one time, nobody's nobody's a winner in, in Brooklyn right now. But considering where they were on Sunday, where they were last night, they've pivoted. They should be in the top six, top seven of the Eastern Conference. They'll be there, you know, when we're talking about them in in mid-April. And legs, I think you know we talk so much about the Nets are this cautionary tale, um, and what went on there over the three and a half years from Durant and Irving arriving and the trade for James Harden and then James Harden moving out and Ben Simmons coming in. And I think it's a more exaggerated example of it, but you always hear organizations talk about, we want to build sustainable success. I'm not sure it exists in this league anymore because the idea of, listen, we've got our three, you know, our best five or six players under contract for three or four years. We're locked in. It doesn't mean anything. And we have... The idea was you don't let a player get the free agency so he could walk on you, walk out on you. And, of course, that's still important, but we're really at a time where it's really almost of an NBA transfer portal that you decide when the contract is over. You decide when you want to be traded. Now, you can buy some, you know, Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant had never acquiesced over the summer and just said, I'm not coming back, I'm not doing this, he would have eventually gotten his trade. It was a long window over the summer. They could wait him out. But I think it's the reality of this league is that nothing is really sustainable. It is year to year. And uh, the Nets were an exaggerated example of that. <laughs> but, you know, when you see a superstar player sign his four or five-year extension, we got him locked up. He's evaluating you year by year. And when he decides it's over, it's over. Completely agree. And look, I don't think any group of athletes historically has ever had more leverage and power than NBA players do right now, particularly when you look at the four major sports. Um, It's not going away, despite how disastrously this turned out for the Nets and what they have to show for it after three and a half years, one series win, with maybe the greatest collection of offensive talent established on a roster at any time. Uh, with those three guys. I mean, those 16 games were really yeah, good. It was great. <laughs> That's the problem. We, like, it was a, like a small taste. And um, 
literally. They were unguardable, but it didn't last, and I, it's not going to change. You're right, Woj. It's because players get too easily dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. They get restless, and they immediately start seeing other things that take place around the league, and now they thrust themselves in the same situation. So it's going to continue. Fortunately, there are guys that I think are going to be lifers with certain mm-hmm. teams. Giannis, I, I mean, I could see him being in Milwaukee his whole career. I could. Obviously, Steph Curry is going to finish, I think, as a warrior. You know, Luka, maybe he's, maybe he's in Dallas forever. You know, Jason Tatum, is he a lifetime Boston guy? There are some guys, but I don't know that anymore because guys these, of this caliber leave now, and they didn't used to, and now they leave every year. So it's going to be a constantly churning the, the waters in the NBA. Well, um, speaking of Luka, um, oh, by the way, remember – when Kyrie Irving got traded. Um, <laughs> was, that a, was that the big news a few days ago? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but it was the domino. The first domino that yeah. led to everything, as you said. Um, we saw him. He, he looked great that, uh, last night uh, with the Mavs, not with Luka. Uh, what do you feel that fit is going to be like oh my goodness. with those two and one ball? It's, well, okay, so I look at it from two perspectives. The first is they addressed a glaring need. Their point differential offensively when Luka Doncic is off the floor right. is something that's not survivable. No. Okay, so you're talking about a guy that needs you know, 12 minutes a night at least. Let me go get a couple cups of water. And if you and want him to be a lifer, eight point lead. Right, at 23 exactly. years old, he can't carry well, that load for that long. Well, that guy right there answers yeah. that. And you saw it. And I, I want to put in perspective, by the way, how difficult it is what he did. You walk in a locker room. You've never played with these guys. You've been, you've been the center of attention in a bad way for the last 72 hours, and you just go drop 24 points efficiently like it's nothing. So he answers that. The question is going to be, and this is going to be answered later, how about when they're together? And Luca dominating the ball to the extent that he does. You know, playing at a slower pace a lot of times, dribbling a lot. And now you got Kyrie on the floor. So Luca's going to make the adjustment. He's smart enough to do it. If he wants to win, he will. And ultimately, I mean, that could be the most potent scoring combination in the league. I mean, the reality is this. Almost all of these partnerships are not built to last. And they're not True. going to last. Yeah. And people, players are just going to keep moving. And the level of... I mean, let's be honest, the level of tampering that goes on in the NBA year-round all the time to try to move players and create new situations and exert pressure, it, it's, it's not, and like, we're talking about the players, but it's the organizations and it's the owners and it's the front offices and, and they're all culpable for the environment we're in where there is always someone to say, we, we've got a better environment for you here. Mm-hmm. And that, whether it's your lack of success there or your lack of postseason, it'll be better here because we have A, B, and C or whatever it is. And I think it's just created this environment. So we can talk about Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic and these two being together for a very long time. Recent history is showing us, and not just Kyrie, who's moved around maybe a little more than others, very little of this, again, is sustainable. With Kyrie Irving, Bobby being an unrestricted free agent, why take that gamble? Well, I mean, he's got that extension there for two for 78 that Dallas has, uh, you know, potentially could offer him up until June 30th. Um, My big question for Kyrie is it's not about how much he can earn in one year. It's always about the length. It's always about the length of the contract as far as will a team like Dallas commit three years, four years, five years, um, you know, we, we're seeing him at his best right now on an expiring contract. It's a show-me type contract where he has to prove it. And for him, he thought that three-week stretch where that Brooklyn team, what, won 18-2? Right. 
that was good enough to be rewarded for another contract. But, and so was the con- and so that 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 was at the root of it all because you know especially before Kevin Durant went down. I mean, we were pegging this team as okay. They're back to being, you know, title in the in the hunt. I was I wanted to stop myself suck from me saying in. They suck I me sucked in. me in yeah, too. Right. So it, 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 this is all about the contract and not getting one from the Nets. Only Kyrie Irving can answer that question. Yes. Um, I think this was largely uh, uh, this was largely about the contract, and it's funny to see in aftermath. You know, Kyrie Irving would not have accepted a four-year, $200 million contract from the Nets, even if they offered it after the fact, which would not have accepted a contract they were not going to offer you. Like, that's, it's kind of easy to do that in retrospect. And, and you're right, Cassidy. You said it. Like, you had a few good weeks and a stretch, and you thought, where I think a lot of people thought after the suspension and everything that played out to start the season that, if you just would have shown that you could have just played controversy-free basketball, been available, been reliable, produce and win, which was happening for a stretch, and you got to the end of the season and the team had success and Kevin Durant was happy and wanted to be here, there would have been a contract for Kyrie Irving. Uh, I think one, I, I think there would have been, but the idea that you were going to maybe do it before the trade deadline um, and if you're going to have leverage as an organization in that situation, it's going to be on the length of the contract. And I think you worry about once you give that contract, can you get the dependability that is maybe there when it's being held out as a carrot and they chose not to cave. They, he asked out, they traded him, and maybe in the end it cost him Kevin Durant too. But I think they had seen enough of a body of work and evidence in Brooklyn to know we know how this movie ends if we yeah. guarantee it. And I think if you're Dallas, you want to do as short of a contract as you can. Uh, I don't know if you're going to have a lot of incentives in it because you are you're in a position where it becomes much more difficult to trade him if the whole thing falls apart and he's got three years left, guaranteed. It's easier to trade him and get value if that's a shorter deal. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Mavericks handle this. Has, has any player ever chosen to walk away from more talent than Kyrie Irving. I mean, he chose to walk away from right. LeBron. He chose to walk away from, from Jason Celtics, Tatum. And yep. he chose to walk away from Kevin Durant. So, to your point, yeah, let's not sit here and think he's all settled in and cozy. No matter right. what Kyrie Irving says in the first couple of weeks, because it's going to be very much a kumbaya situation there oh, yeah. in the beginning, right? And obviously, he also wants to play great. Because everything that's at stake for him, but it doesn't mean we're going to ever know how he feels internally and getting inside his psyche if he's comfortable, satisfied, and maybe going to settle down for a little while because that just doesn't seem to be his nature. Yeah, and especially, you know, with the swirling conversation of is it is he ultimately want to be in L.A.? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's let's move and shift away from uh, Irving and, and Durant. 
Let, let's talk about some of the other trades. Um, let's start with the Lakers. What, what, wait, first of all, what did you make of all the moves the Lakers made? I think they made themselves substantially better. And I, I'm not trying to take a shot at Russell Westbrook at all. In fact, I defended him the last couple of days because I think too much was laid at his feet. He, had a very, he was put in an impossible situation. And yet he still played hard every night. He still had competitive will. Those are things they're going to have to replace. It was a bad fit for him. Um, so I'm not putting as much of this on him. But the truth is, the guys they got back fit better around LeBron and AD. And you're talking about a couple of guys in Russell and Beasley. I mean, those guys on average take 16 threes a night between the two of them. And they shoot it between 35 and 40%. That's exactly what the Lakers need to play off of LeBron and AD. So there's just going to be better balance, spacing, rhythm to their offense. Um, they look, they're going to look more like a basketball team offensively and more like some of the teams LeBron has had great success with. How did this develop for Rob Palinka this week? Well, you know, I think for the Lakers, you know, they looked at a number of scenarios over time. Uh, again, it was always the one pick or a one pick or a two pick trade. And that was the conversation at the start of the season, start of the preseason. Did they want to do the Miles Turner Buddy Heald two pick deal with the Pacers? And they really labored over that, decided not to do it. And I think what Rob Polenka's view of it always was and, and ownership was, if we're going to do a trade with both picks, it better make us championship contenders because this is it. We've gassed our assets. We don't really have any other way to improve our roster for a very long time. You know, they, they're still paying for the Anthony Davis trade. They're paying for the Russell Westbrook trade because they traded three assets that if they had moved them all elsewhere could have gotten decent returns and lost Alex Caruso because they couldn't afford to keep him. And so they do a trade this week. Uh, this week, was it yesterday? Two days ago. Yesterday. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. <laughs> it was yesterday. <laughs> we, were, we were right down the hall. They do a trade where they used one of their picks with Westbrook going out, and they get back D'Angelo Russell, uh, Vanderbilt. We saw Vanderbilt, Beasley. And so, you know, I think D'Angelo Russell, they have history there with him. Uh, they had talked about Mike Conley. They had talked about... Uh, Russell, you know, it's funny that three team trade was kind of born out of three teams who were talking to each other about a lot of different deals individually and found a way to put put it all uh, together for the Jazz. They're just looking to get back the draft capital and, and, and they got off some money with Mike Connolly for next season. Uh, but you know, I think for the Lakers, you know, they've used that pick now. Uh, they moved off of uh, Russell Westbrook and now D'Angelo Russell. You know, I think it's a player who they're going to have, I think they do have interest in talking about a contract extension with him, whether it's during the season or after the season when he can be a free agent doing a new deal. But um, it limits you, Bobby, giving away that one pick because how much better does it really make them? Well, I think the interesting thing with the Lakers was is that we always talk about cap space, right? The allure of cap space. We go into the summer, we can chase these these all-stars, and the Lakers basically had a decision to make, right? You're going to go in, you're going to let the Westbrook contract expire, and you're going to have $32 million. That's kind of, that's kind of where their, their magic number was. And you would have had LeBron and Anthony Davis and Damian Jones and Max Christie, and that was your roster. And this is what they were able to do. You go out and get D'Angelo Russell, who's a free agent. You can sign him with bird rights. You go out and get Mo, Mo Bamba today, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Malik Beasley, guys that are under contract, not just for this year, but for next year. And it rem reminds me a lot of the 2019 offseason when 
They missed out on Kawhi Leonard. And then they, all, they re-signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Alex Caruso. And they just found guys that just fit. And this is kind of what I see the Lakers doing here. And, of course, they can always pivot this offseason. If, Ky- if Kyrie wants to go to the Lakers and play some of these guys have, have um, team options here. But I really, as, as Lex says, I really like they're, they're building it kind of the, ro- the right way, not top-heavy with you know, three guys making $120 million combined. Uh, what about their roommates uh, and everything that went down with the Clippers? I thought the Clippers had a great day. Uh, Bones, Hi- Bones Highland from the Nuggets. Uh, and he was like a fan favorite with, with Denver last year, and it fizzled yeah. out with them. It's funny. Uh, Bones Highland, it's interesting. When, when he came out in the draft, he was a player that uh, the Clippers really loved in pre-draft, and he was on their board, and um, I think there was some disappointment that maybe they let him get away that day, and now they get him back um, in this trade. And then, right, Bobby, then the rest of the – and then Mason – Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon and mm-hmm. Mason Plumlee. Ma- and Mason Plumlee's having a – I mean, because he's in Charlotte. Right. And they're, they're in the bottom of the standings, but he's having a career year. They, they, needed, a, they needed a center, a backup center. And, and Eric Gordon, who – and Legs, we were talking about this on the way in. You made a great point. You know, his shooting numbers aren't where they've we've seen him, but – this has been a very difficult situation yeah. in, a, in an absolute rebuild with a lot of young guys and some immature guys and, and a seasoned pro and a, and a total pro in Eric Gordon who, you know, felt like he had bided his time there. And I think he's going to be um, rejuvenated going to the Clippers. Those three players without giving up a first round pick and without giving, out, giving up any of their young players. I thought that was really um, a productive day for the Clippers, and, and they, they help themselves. And a lot of playoff experience. Eric Gordon, I'll predict it right now, he is going to have signature moments in the postseason for them. He's just too good of a shooter. He's going to be locked in. He's going to get an adrenaline rush, and, and I expect him to play great. I just thought that was a great pickup for them. And also, he's a guy that you can give the ball to and run some ball screen if Kawhi Leonard's on the bench or Paul George is on the bench. He's not just a spot-up-and-shoot guy. He can get his own shot, too. So I, I love what the Clippers did as well. I mean, there's, there's so many uh, trades we could still talk about. Um, we only have about, you know, nine minutes left of the show. I, I do want to get to something that didn't happen. The trades that didn't happen, Woj. Um, you know, you have anything you could share about things that were just near misses and why certain teams uh, didn't trade guys? Like John Collins. John Collins is a good example. He's been, and I think it's hurt. <laughs> I think two things with John Collins that's hurt their ability to get back the value they had been trying to wait out and do get was I think I think he's been devalued a little bit because he's been in the tr- this is a second straight year he was out in the trade market and the longer you're out there and nobody trades for you it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where teams are wondering and there are other reasons and and John Collins is a very good player and and Bobby he makes Makes 20, 25 million. It's the 20, contract. It's the contract. It's the contract. He's 25. got three more years after this yeah. making $25 million. It's and, the contract. And, and I think a lot of teams, you talk to uh, teams who have interest in him, said, Bobby, you, I think you have this conversation more than I do. You know, they kind of saw him in that 18 to 19 million. That's how they value him, 18, 19 million dollars a year. His agent did a great job getting him that contract. And so Utah was interested in John Collins. It's a deal they would have liked to have done at some different points prior to the trade deadline. But they wanted a draft pick with Collins to basically offset the money they felt they felt was like taking on extra money. And Atlanta said, hey, this is not a salary dump. We're not giving up assets to get him off. And so 
And then when the deal didn't get done with the Suns last night, really today and talking around Atlanta and they never really had traction. And so they'll go into another off season and try to figure this one out. The, the one other one that didn't happen, Obi Toppin with the yeah. Knicks, who eighth overall pick, who you thought the last 20, 25 games last season kind of had a breakout and, you know, that he's just not found traction in a role with, with Tom Thibodeau in New York. And sometimes organizations will say, hey, we're going to allow you to, you don't have a role here. You don't have the, the kind of expanded role that probably you would think you would have at this point in your career based on roster, coaching preferences. And the fact that they didn't move off of him and tra- do a trade today, I know they talked with Indiana, have been back and forth a little bit with him, with them. Um, I was surprised, Bobby, that that Toppin is still on the Knicks today. Yeah, and speak, keep keeping with the O's, OG Ananobi, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Toronto Toronto is an interesting spot. And the one word I hate when people say, well, they, everyone, they should blow it up, right? They're 25 and they're blow it up, right? You just bottom out here. And I think for Toronto, you look at Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., guys who could be free agents this offseason. Mentioned OG, Pascal Siakam, certainly Scotty Barnes is off, off the table here. And when you have a deadline, it doesn't mean you have to automatically just trade four players and then restart. You have the whole offseason here when it opens up. I always say there's going to be one or two teams that lose in the first round that are going to want to mortgage their future for one of these players here. And the deals you get in June are going to be a lot better in February. I think Christian Wood's also a name that you know was thrown out that would be in the conversations, but he didn't get moved. Um, I I, want to kind of wrap things up with uh, talking about some of the maybe more underrated trades. I'm going to throw some out here. I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, What do you think is the most underrated trade? Hart to the Knicks, Crowder to the Bucks, Gordon we talked about to the Clips. Got to be Jay Crowder to Milwaukee. It has to be because you're you're talking about a team that's got title aspirations. Um, Boston's been the best team in the league to this point. Milwaukee's been waiting on Chris Middleton. It buys them insu- some insurance there. And also, Jay Crowder, there's a reason that Jay Crowder, for the, most, for the most part in his career, has been on really good teams. Because he plays both ends, he's physical, he plays hard, and he can knock down big shots. So for me, now look, he just sat out you know, two-thirds of a season. So when he stood up, when he got to call, I'm sure a bunch of dust flew up in the air because <laughs> he just have been sitting around. So he's got to shake the rust off and get out there. But he's got two months to find that before he gets into the postseason. So I just thought for a team that's already you know, sort of at the apex in this league, to go out and get a guy that quality with that much playoff experience, I thought that was huge. Um, Bobby, l- let's finish with this, and then would you you um, you know put a bow on it for us? But what what's your final biggest takeaway from this uh, 2023 trade deadline? I can't believe how many second round picks were traded. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen deals where teams were adding five five second round picks, and I think that's the that's the beauty of it. When when teams are buying seconds at the draft, it's in there, and then they basically have accumulated them. Because remember, there's only nine teams that control all their first-round picks in the next seven years, and teams have accumulated these twos, and we saw five go for Crowder, four. Uh, I think Josh Richardson might have been for four. Um, I mean, it was a bountiful of, uh, of number twos today that went out. And you have all those picks and all those <laughs> players floating around in your head. And I mean, when, you, when you're just sitting here with a quiet mind, what is the one thing that pops out from the, from the last week? Yeah, just, you know, we have spent so much time the last three and a half years talking about the Nets, reporting on the Nets, and and to see that incarnation of that organization 
just gone in a flash. And you can't say it surprises you. You you kind of always felt like we were lurching toward that. But it was a spectacular ending in that way. And so uh, certainly that's what we'll remember from this week. But listen, now we're in the stretch run to the postseason. I cannot remember a season legs, Bobby Cass, where there are so many teams you can make a legitimate case for that that team can get to the finals. Oh, yeah. Sorry, not sorry, NFL. I mean, you guys took some of our shine on Christmas Day, so we're going to take some of your shine heading into the Super Bowl week because today was a day in the association. And as you said, Woj, it's going to be a fun race to the end. Thank you so much for watching the Woj Pod Trade Deadline Reaction Show. For Woj Legs, Bobby Marks, I'm Cassidy Hubbard. See ya. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.